Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host, Joey Klein. Good afternoon. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Tech Talk. Um, so on this show, we're going to be interviewing two companies. Uh, first, we'll be talking to Kelly Bryant, uh, Chief Product Officer at AMI. Hi, Joey. Thanks for having us. Yeah, sure thing. And then we're going to get to Scott Tapp, who is the CEO of Trella Health. Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure thing. So, you know, the I think the interesting part about both companies today is one of them, AMI, that we're going to start with, is a company that a lot of us interact with on a day-to-day basis and don't really know it. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna think it's gonna be interesting to have Kelly tell us more about that. Uh, Trella Health is a really interesting healthcare IT company, um, born and bred here in Georgia, um, and working on some really u- u- ubiquitous and widespread issues that I think are going to be interesting to explore. So, Kelly, we are going to start with you. Okay. Okay, so AMI, what does AMI stand for? Or did it used to stand for something and now it's somewhat meaningless? It's like most uh, companies that yes. <clears throat> ended up just going to the uh, um, acronym. Yeah, AMI stood for American Megatrends, okay. and it's now just known as, as AMI. Right, okay. okay. And, and if you're old enough, as I am, uh, most people remember AMI because whenever they would turn on a server or a computer, there'd be a boot banner, and it would always say American Megatrends. So that's what got embedded into a lot of people's minds in terms of, of what AMI did. Okay, this is like one of those things where, you know, based upon what television shows you watched or music you listened to, you know, <laughs> you can tell sort of where you are in the age range by, did you see that come up on the banner or not? Well, we're going to talk about Comdex in a minute. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... What is what what is so ubiquitous about AMI? Why you know this is somewhat fascinating to me when I encounter companies that are based right here in Georgia that really touch all of our lives. That if you ask most people, they wouldn't really have a good idea of what they do. That's kind of what I like to do on this show. So give us kind of the high level. What was AMI? What is AMI? What is AMI going to be? Okay, so the reason why AMI is ubiquitous is that when anywhere there's a compute. Right, and we'll talk about that in a minute in terms of what's driving compute. You're going to have AMI, okay? And so most people don't know this, but you'll find if you're walking down Hartsville Jackson and Hartsville Jackson uh, Concourse and you see a video advertisement display, that's more than likely AMI in it. The Marta kiosk where you print out your ticket, mm-hmm. it, you, that's an AMI solution. You'll find us in automotive sector. You'll find us um, in trains in the German train system. So anywhere there's a compute system, there's some type of AMI technology. Um, we ship in about 70% of all the servers that ship out every year. Um, and then also uh, desktop and laptops, we're in about 40% uh, of those as well. So like I said, AMI and what we focus on, we're primarily a technology company um, focused on the world of compute. And what that means is, is that we provide essential technology and that technology is defined as firmware, okay? And that firmware is going to let you do three core functions of three critical functions in a compute. The first, it's going to let you turn on your computer. There's some stuff that has to happen before your CPU can actually turn on. We're going to let you manage it, okay? So over the life cycle, and more importantly, we'll let you manage it remotely because a lot of servers, there's no one physically there or it's deployed out on the edge somewhere or in a 5G tower, and then most importantly, we'll let it run secure, or we'll ensure that it runs secure. You know, given all the vulnerabilities uh, you know, that we hear about today, 
Uh, we'll make sure that nothing's tampered with that firmware, and if it has, uh, we'll correct it. Okay, so so let's take a couple of those examples. You talked about a kiosk, um, or, you know, display at the airport. You talked about you know a turnstile at a Marta station. Are you selling your solution into a chip maker or into a hardware manufacturer or both? And it just depends. It, it's both, and okay. it just depends. Our, the the route to market. Well, so let's let's back up and talk about the supply chain because yeah. that really will show you know how we go to market. So in the days IT world, the supply chain is is pretty complex, and it really begins with working with the silicon technology partner. And what that means is that. When their CPU starts to turn on, it's got to have firmware. It's got to have something that runs it, which means that we have to be engaged very early in the development with an Intel, an Ampere, an AMD to bring up that silicon to make sure that we enable certain features and certain capabilities, okay? That gets designed in what's called sort of a a playbook, if you will, a customer reference platform. And then that playbook is seeded out through the market. Okay, so anyone that wants to design in that system has a playbook. It says this is how you design it, this is the components you need, this is the software you need. Okay, now, today, uh, and especially in the server space, uh, most everything comes out of Taiwan. That's where it begins, and it comes out of the original design manufacturers, or ODMs for short. They take that reference platform, and then they design multiple SKUs of that. Okay, so... So we, uh, so we partner with the, uh, the technology partner on the silicon, mm-hmm. and then we sell sometimes directly to the ODM because they are manufacturing the motherboards and the systems that then get deployed out in the industry. Now, those get shipped to the uh, what we call the point-of-use market, these people that are actually using it. So think of big hyperscalers, okay? You know, think of your Fortune 1000 companies, sure. right? Those are the end users of it. And so we'll also work directly with them because sometimes they need some customization or, you know, they want to actually, you know, design their stack themselves and we'll partner with them. So, so we really have a three-pronged approach in terms of how we go to market and how we ship it. The kiosk ships into the embedded market. And the embedded market is a set of manufacturers that really focus on a specialized type of server. It's a ruggedized server that can withstand temperature, heat, you know, a rugged uh, you know, um, ruggedized environment, small form factors, and then they will develop it for general use case market that gets deployed, like I said, all over the, the market. Okay. So we're, we're talking about a critical piece of technology that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, whether or not we know it. This sounds like, um, what am I trying to say here? It, not necessarily a sure thing, but it, it, it sounds like a really good way to stay in business, as in, you know, what... The, the technology that we use needs you. So you as the chief product officer, you come on board to build a product group. And I guess my question is, okay, we have technology that is used all over the place in many different types of functions. Your job as a product guy, are you there to ideate on new products, to um, uh, increase the bandwidth of existing products, to get into new markets? What's the charge on your end, given that you, you know, Part of this, I'm sure, sells itself. So, yes, to all yeah. of that. <laughs> so the way I conceptualize chief product officer is my job is to – my team's job is to come in and to um, develop a, a product vision based on the CEO's mission and what we want them to do, okay, and then to execute on that vision. And that vision includes um, existing markets, making sure that we stay relevant in there, 
going into new markets and the new market segments, and then developing or building completely new capabilities. But these are all aligned under sort of a holistic product family, if you will. Everything needs to sort of have a purpose and fit in place. Mm -hmm. And that's that, you know, I, I strongly believe that, you know, the product portfolio needs to have a narrative and a story of what is it there for and what's the value, you know, to the customer as well. And so you've you've been with AMI for what maybe a year, year and a half or so? A little over a year, but okay. it feels like twenty. <laughs> and the, the reason for that is that um, so I moved down from uh, from New England to run a division of uh, AMI that got sold to LSI. LSI is now known as Broadcom. Yeah. So it was the Mega Ray division. Um, and we'll talk in a minute about this one of the superhero powers of AMI. But um, AMI was really the first that pioneered that market. It, it was it was firmware for RAID, which basically is how you protect your disk to make sure you can keep your data. Okay, Every Dell server today, which would have a PERC controller, is a mega RAID card. Okay, NEC, Lenovo, and so forth, with the exception of, of HPQ. So when we, I moved down, um, I took that team, and that team has the same culture, you know, the same philosophy on how they support the customers. And, of course, we knew a lot of the same people. So when I joined AMI, we knew the same customers, yeah. you know, we knew the same uh, sort of uh, focus on innovation. Um, and so it was like just sort of coming home again. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting where our lives take us. Small world. Yeah, really. Yeah. So, but but this is very much kind of a new phase in AMI. I believe that you, you had, there's a new owner involved, correct? Yeah. Okay. So the original founder, and um, so let, let me back up for yeah. one second. So the, the way AMI started was uh, one of our founders was at Comdex. And if you're as old as me, people remember that was the show that everyone went to yeah. for electronics, for PC. And so he was there with, for design services. Um, and they had developed uh, motherboards. So this young man came by and says, can you develop a 386 motherboard, which had been very you know, cutting edge at the time, the uh, 88, uh, 386. Well, that gentleman was Michael Dell. So Dell was our first customer. And um, that really sort of bootstrapped the entire company. Now, now AMI, uh, like I said, their superhero power in my mind is the ability to recreate themselves over time, to be able to understand when inflections are coming in the market and then how to address them. So, uh, so AMI got out of the motherboard business whenever that market started to shift over to Taiwan. And that's when they began to focus on sort of the firmware element of what makes your computer run, mm-hmm. okay? And then, like I said, so then they, they uh, developed the, the, the firmware that lets you power up your computer, the firmware which lets you manage your computer, and then most recently we announced something that lets you uh, let your computer run secure. And then, like I said, the, the raid that they did was firmware, but whenever the market started to shift to sell that, uh, the deployment mechanism was through a, a host bus adapter. You know, they didn't really want to do that because that was not their core values. So uh, original founder uh, finally retired, and so we got bought by a private equity firm called HGGC. Mm-hmm. And people that may not know that company, Steve Young, um, is a president of that company. And so we are a really uh, a 37-year-old startup company right now. Uh, we are in growth mode, and part of that is that you know everybody knows you know, with the pandemic, it really led a fire in everybody's digital transformation so we're growing like crazy. There's new adjacent products that we're going after. Uh, when you look at sort of how the market's evolving, how IT is transitioning, firmware is going to take a much more central role. 
And when you look at how it gets used in the data center, there's things that you have to do that only AMI can do to support the customer. Well, I, I imagine that the, the data center world is quite a target-rich environment for you. Well, yeah. Like I said, yes. when I was at LSI at the time, the thing that drove the market was the OEMs and the Fortune 1000 companies. Uh, the change when I came came back is now it's all driven by the hyperscalers. And that just has to do with the fact that, you know, that market um, is so much more relevant now if you look at sort of how workloads are trending, how most of the enterprises has, have moved, you know, their enterprise applications to the cloud. The cloud, the hyperscalers continue to grow and to grow and to grow. And actually, if you look at reports of the total unit shipped, there's a crossover point between the number of units that all the OEMs ship versus the hyperscalers, and that inflection point is now. And, and, and is that one of the product adjacencies that you're referring to, the work with hyperscalers? We, well, we've always worked with hyperscalers, okay. right? So, again, when we sell into the ODM market, it will go as a commodity off-the-shelf server, and then it gets used in a lot of general applications. And one of the and, you know, the cloud service providers, like any data center, are providing Workloads that run on you know generic generic hardware. Okay, so you have always been a product guy yourself. What what is it that that appeals to you about that world and that function? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I did start life as an engineer. I did it for a couple years, but for some reason I gravitated towards the intersection between uh, customers and business and technology. And um, f- for me. Um, I, I wanted to learn how do products get designed? I mean, how do they get defined to begin with, right? How do you solve customer problems? How do you create a business? And so the nice thing about that intersection is that you can be as technical as you want. You you need to be somewhat technical because you have to translate requirements from the customer so that the engineers can then take that and, uh, and then build a product. But you get to work with finance. You get to work with sales. You get to work with marketing. So... It lets you be a generalist, if you will. And maybe you're a master of none, but, <laughs> but it's still an exciting area. Um, and the other thing I, I will say is that I view product management and planning as a destination, meaning mm-hmm. when I bring people in, I typically like to bring people that have had foundational experience in different parts of the company because they will bring different experiences uh, into that as we define products. How do you balance the need for technical expertise and business expertise on your team? So no, no one person can do it all, yeah. right? So you, you like any team, right? A baseball team, you have a catcher, a pitcher, you know, infielder. You collect a team that has different skill sets. In my view, at least I view my role as, you know, everyone has a role. Uh, my job is to find, you know, where they fit in the organization and they can, you know, obviously uh, best contribute it. So today... You know, we have people that are extremely technical, but they need to be customer friendly. And what I mean by that is they need to be able to know what to say to the customer and what not to say to the customer. But then we have more sort of operational business oriented people that can help run the business case and the P&L. Um, and then we have go to market people. I mean, go to market is a, is a big thing in terms of the product realization process. And how do you start to promote the product? How do you make sure, you know, the pricing is right and all of that? So it's a collection of people that form a team, that function as, as one overall unit. Yeah. Well, and, and you're entering at a, an interesting place because I recall from our first conversation, it sounds like this is really the first time there has been a dedicated product team. Yes, yes. So I think, you know, AMI is uh, primarily an engineering-focused company. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, um, 
the there was there was product. It just wasn't consolidated. Sure. So um, if the way they were organized before uh, was a bit in silos, but they that that's no longer the case. And of course, the scale of business, you you need to have. Uh, product management, product planning, someone that's thinking about the product holistically. So so that that's really been my role to come in. And really, uh, AMI was doing that, but it's really just, like I said, you know, providing some vision uh, focus and, and a framework for how do you think about products, and then more importantly, how do you take them to the marketplace? Uh, sure, have, having a centralized place in the organization for it to sit, and someone, you, basically, to f- herald that vision. Yeah, yes. and, and then like I said, I mean, I truly believe it's it's a team sport. Meaning, it's not like product management comes in and says, "Okay, this is what you guys need to do," and you just need to listen to me. I've worked in a lot of companies where that will would not work, and you know, great ideas come from all over parts of the uh, the company. So our job is to really, like I said, create a framework, create a uh, an environment where we can have these open discussions, and then collectively, uh, as a team. Hopefully, we'll make the right decision on what to build, when to build it, and more importantly, what not to build. That's the other challenge that you'll see in a lot of organizations is that, you know, they end up taking more and more on. And I, I call it the tyranny, the urgent, right? It's like when you're supporting an existing business and you have customers that you need to support, which you need to support flawlessly, um, you can end up, you know, taking on too much, which then can suffocate your innovation side as well uh, sure it's you can you can try and be too many things to too many people right um okay. and end up becoming nothing to no one so i, I mean look at, at a time when you are building a team and helping this organization grow how do you avoid that how what is your leadership style such that it makes sure that everyone does stay on track and keeps you know the primary goal in focus um so i think um so again again i i I think that the the goal here, right, is to um, understand what the team is good at. Okay. The other thing that so the way there's three sort of phases. We've got sort of lead, engage, uh, and build is sort of the mantra that we have here. So the first thing is is that we've got a set of priorities really around maintaining the existing business, making sure that we don't get caught flat-footed with new technologies and other things like that. Okay. We have an engage uh, element, which is, okay, we want to work with market leaders. Because at the end of the day, AMI, um, we provide something that goes into another product. And mm-hmm. so we don't necessarily sit at those in markets. So the best way to learn is to engage with the market leaders from a you know, requirement standpoint to make sure that we get those in there. And then the build element. The build element is really the things that are unique above and beyond the adjacency. So what we do basically is that we have a priority list. And we have a team that we focus on a given set of things, okay? And so we basically have prioritized those things, um, and then we manage those because assumptions change. The other thing is we carve out resources to focus on incubation because, again, the concern, the problem that you'll have is if you don't do that, the tyranny of the urgent will come in and consume resources that you need to focus on the next generation platforms and mm-hmm. products because, again, as a technology company, I can only – which is – I would think most technology companies understand is that the pace of innovation is extremely fast. And if you move, if you lose an inflection point, your ability to catch up is very difficult and you may even be out a whole generation. So you do everything you can to make sure that you don't lose that inflection point. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's fun. I, like I said, I'm having a great time. Uh, it's a great team. 
like I said, the culture at AMI is is really good. The one thing, like I said before, uh, when I came in, the culture that existed before is it's a uh, innovation. It's a core focus uh, of of AMI, and the way they have, we have seven hundred patents and growing. Um, the the thing that um, that gets reinforced is that every year there's innovation week, and so what we do is we try to encourage all walks of the company to come in and provide innovative ideas. Okay, and the the key thing here is it doesn't have to be technology. It could be business. It could be it could be process. How do you do things better? faster and smarter. So then we'll put uh, these uh, these teams through a uh, shark week kind of environment. Mm-hmm. We give them four pages. They got to get to the point. And then more importantly, they have to be able to articulate what's the value to the customer. Because at the end of the day, if it's not aligned to a customer value or benefit, then uh, we probably wouldn't pursue it. That's and then right. we take that and we try to operationalize it. That's, that's interesting. That's a cool, uh, cool project. What, what has changed if much of anything since private equity has been involved and CEO's transition has occurred? Um, I just, I, like I said, I think there's, there's more focus. Uh, there's a stronger alignment across all the product teams and what we're trying to do. Uh, Sean Joy uh, is our CEO and he's set a, a vision that we all, we all execute to. Um, you know, we, uh, we are private equity, so we're back. So we've been in investment mode mm-hmm. uh, trying to grow the team. Uh, we hired uh, 600 people last year, so we are wow. growing and expanding. That's incredible. Uh, quite rapidly, right? Where across what geographies are you? All, all geographies, uh, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah Taiwan, uh, India, and also the U.S. as well. Yeah, wow, that is that is very fun. And, and I will say, like the other unique thing about AMI is that um, it's been here for 37 years, um, but most people um, have stayed. I mean, we have people that have 10 years of 20 to 25 to 30 years. That's incredible. And it, it is, especially yeah. in the technology field, yeah. because, you know, most people, especially in the compute, which is really a small world, um, you know, most peop- most of that is out on the West Coast. But I think the reason for that is largely, you know, Atlanta is a great place to you know, raise a family, The uh, you know, the sort of the uh, – um, you know, the, the environment here is great, the university – um, the transportation system as well. And then I think, you know, if you look at Intel's moving in, Microsoft's moving in, you know, they're only finding out now what a lot of tech companies in Atlanta have known for a long time. Yeah, that's right. Secret's uh, out. This is a great place to come and to recruit and to grow a business. Yeah, it is. So what what do the next 12 to 18 months look like for you? What's, what's the big goals for the team other than just, you know? It's security, security, yeah. uh, security, and then making sure that the uh, that our solution in the in the data center is easy to manage it's easy to secure it's easy uh, to orchestrate you know like i said when you look at sort of where the it industry is going um, you know back in the, the 90s early 2000 it was the enterprise data center they are basically consolidating and building out these huge enterprise data centers mm-hmm. toward these workloads mid you know 2000 to uh, early 2000s to mid you know you had the emergence of the hyperscalers um, so AWS, uh, initially, you know, most people didn't want to put enterprise applications out there. Now that's, you know, common SAP, ERP yeah. are out there. So as you move in the 20, so, so today, 90% of all data that is created and uh, process is done in that core data center. By 2025, 70% of all data created is going to be out on the edge, and the reason for that is if you look at all these connected devices, autonomous, driving, 
you know, uh, manufacturing 2.0, all these things are generating a ton of data, streaming data, and it has to be analyzed at the source because mm-hmm. you can't transfer it over and analyze it in real time. You're driving a car which is generating a lot of data. You can't afford a delay in terms of making an intelligent decision. Right. So you have to move, commute, compute to wherever the data is being generated, and data is growing like crazy. And so that's a big focus of AMI as well in terms of you know making sure that we provide solutions and capabilities that are optimized for that environment. That's great. That is super interesting. So if, if anyone listening wants to learn more about AMI, what's the website? Where should they go? Uh, AMI.com. AMI.com. Right? Yeah, yep. easy enough. Great. Kelly, thanks a lot for coming on and uh, telling us your story. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Sure. All right, Scott, you're up. Thanks, man. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I always love learning more about product organizations. <clears throat> I had a lot of questions, but I'll wait till afterwards. Well, yeah, well, we can. Uh, that's that's, kind of, part that's, of, fair. that's yeah. kind of part of the fun of this, that, you know, you guys get to meet and hang out as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Great, yeah. That's great. So, so you have an interesting story as well. Um, just in terms of your path to Trella and just kind of what your operating procedure has been, you know, from company to company, maybe give a little bit about mm-hmm. your, your background and how you started and, you know, what your, what your mm-hmm. MO is and what's going on at Trella. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I know that'll, that'll take us through <laughs> at least a couple minutes. Uh, quick background. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm from Atlanta, okay. uh, six generations and, um, never other than being in the Navy kind of found myself here most of the time and traveling, of course. Um, I started in investment banking and the finance side and then in the venture business, working with a couple family offices, investing in companies, which I loved. But I wanted to sit on the other side of the table for a while mm-hmm. and just become, you know, get some operating experience. And so in 2004, I decided to do that. And it's been 18 years of operating experience. Yeah. And it's been fun. So we built a pretty cool communications company, public company. We ultimately sold. Um, I was the general manager of the SaaS business there and uh, 24 acquisitions and a lot of growth in the business, which was great. I then was recruited to be CEO of another software company. Uh, then I was managing director for a uh, strategic consulting company mm-hmm. kind of focuses or competes with Bain and McKenzie on go-to-market execution. Um, and then decided to take on for the first time a, a fairly early stage growth company another SaaS business, but uh, Trello Health, and it's been super exciting. And so what the, the, the decision to take on a business that was a little bit of a different profile, both in stage as well as industry from what you'd been involved in, yeah. was it, hey, I want a new challenge, or was it, this business is just so compelling, I can't look away from it, or was it some combination of those two? Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a combination, but it's also a strange time. And so um, most of my career has been on the road, building, growing regionally, expanding internationally, launching India, whatever it may be. <clears throat> and when I, was, when I was approached by the board in this particular opportunity, um, one, it was functionally a SaaS business, mm-hmm. which is my sweet spot. Sure. Um, but one thing I had not done is spent time in healthcare. And just digging in the diligence on the company and understanding more about what they're doing. It was real appealing. Not only that, what was really appealing was the fact that they're based right here in Atlanta. <laughs> and you can stay your, for a little you while. Could, you could get your hands around, yeah. you know, 60 people is a fairly early stage company. And um, so that's why I decided to do it. And 
interestingly started April 1st, April Fool's Day in the middle of the pandemic, right when it started. So two years ago. Um, but it's been it's been fantastic. We've had just a great ride and things are going quite well. That's great. We're, we're, we're going to get into that. Um, so give us the headline of Trilla Health and let's not bury the lead here. What's what's the goal of the organization? Yeah. So, well, the headline um, is, is really a data insights company that helps the healthcare world understand what's going on in their markets. Okay. And we have access to, and we focus our, our time on the senior care population, 65 plus. We have access to all of the claims that they file and process. And we take those claims and we watch these people move longitudinally throughout the care settings from one doctor to one hospital to one place at a time. And we can track everything that's happening with them. And we learn a great deal from that. And we turn that learning into insights that we provide back to the providers, Mm -hmm. the providers of the care to help them improve performance and help them improve outcomes and hopefully lower costs at better outcomes. Well, and look, it's a, I think, Whenever anyone talks about healthcare, they talk about the 17% of GDP that our healthcare spending yeah. takes up. And what do you do about that? And how does that, how do you manage that, especially with a older population that is going to use up a lot of healthcare? The, the number that you gave me in terms of what value that takes up of the $4 trillion spend, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but it is quite large. It's what, it's one not, and a half yeah, out of it's four? Not, not quite half yeah. of the spend is in that world, um, and it makes up about 20% of the U.S. population. You know, the 60-plus yeah. of about 360 people, there's 60 million. So it's about 20% of the U.S. population. But understandably, as you get older, it costs more and care is needed more and comorbidities happen, and that's just where a great deal of the cost is. The 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 cost of health care in the U.S., in my opinion, is, is never really going to go down. Right, populations growing, mm-hmm. technology innovation happens. Things are more expensive, but the 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 challenge is figuring out how to care and provide optimal care at a better price with better outcomes. Sure, which in turn is targeting waste, especially for the population that is using the most care. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. we were we were just talking about this this morning. Um, there's about twenty six billion dollars of waste that goes from a hospital to when you leave a hospital knowing where to go and what to do next is a, is a gap. When, when you say waste, let's define exactly what you mean by waste. Well, people end up in the wrong place spending mm-hmm. money on things that they shouldn't be spending money on. Maybe they get discharged from a hospital and needed to go to a home health setting for some specialty or expertise, and they were discharged without any, any recommendation for home health. So they go home, and next thing you know, something happens, and they're back in the hospital where the most expensive mm-hmm. part of care sets. So those little those little simple mistakes, not knowing up. what to do next, yeah, they add up. So so what is the weak link there? What or who is not communicating to produce that waste? And what or who is the solution? Well, that is a great question. So the the biggest issue is um, from our from our view is when you when you think about leaving a hospital or leaving a physician, you get lost. It, literally, you would ask your person who referred you to some other service, if it's a rehab facility or whatever it may be, how, how are things going with your patient? And you have no idea. You know, it's just the visibility, as people say, going from acute or the world of the hospital to non-acute, meaning post-acute, mm-hmm. where they leave the hospital, they have other services. Um, 
there's no clear way of figuring out who's going where and how they're doing and the communication gap. Everyone's on different systems or on different infrastructure, different platforms. They have different uh, insurance providers. Sure. I mean, you can imagine the, it's just, it's just very complex. Yeah. But okay. So, so, so yes, I think anyone, you know, whether, whether you're old or young who has interacted with the healthcare system can understand this. We've all seen it in our own lives, you know, look, especially in an, an emergency setting, you know, there's just churn doctors churn through patients. It's on to the next. Um, and it's, I'm not saying it's right. It's somewhat understandable how the outcome occurs. Okay. So, then we have your technology yes. that is designed to reduce, alleviate, um, you know, get rid of some of these problems. How does the technology interact with provi- healthcare providers in order to get that outcome? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So our focus has been on what we consider the post-acute market. So you leave a hospital mm-hmm. and what happens to that person in care. Before our data and insights came out, you have no idea. So you have all these post-acute providers who are providing care. They don't know what their competition looks like. They don't know how they're performing as it relates to cost and readmission rates back to hospital mm-hmm. compared to their competition. The, they don't know what physicians are referring patients to what location in their geography. And the challenge with that being that Maybe you, as a post-acute provider, have a specialty. Maybe it's cardiology, you know, some sort of cardiology specialty is something you provide where they're sending patients to the wrong place. What our insight has done in the post-acute world is it's given them enough market data to see their competition, to look at their performance, to look at their readmission rates, so they can really raise the bar against the rest of the market. And that's what we're trying to do because ultimately that competitive nature is going to improve outcomes. Sure. So the insights alone, a great example, I'll give you just some simple ones. If you were to leave Grady and be referred to a skilled nursing facility for maybe you had a hip surgery and you need to go for 30 days for rehab, um, they're going to possibly send you to three facilities. But what Grady doesn't know is which one is the best facility, which one has the lower cost of care but better outcomes, meaning they have lower readmit rates back to a hospital. And we found in our, in our data and in our insights that you could send a patient to skilled nursing facility one that costs $30,000 of service, and the same patient would go to skilled nursing facility two, and it would only cost 17000 and they would have better outcomes. That transparency is what we're trying to find. Uh, so now we're, now, now we're getting a little off track here because I'm curious about this. So let's take those skilled nursing facilities. Okay, so from a pricing perspective, I understand that your technology also allows them to see how they're doing next to competitors. When those skilled nursing facilities are pricing their services, is it in a vacuum? Uh, you know, how, how does one in a similar geography charge 17 and one charges 30? In no, the, it's, this not, example? It's, it's not the way they price. It's the services they're providing. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're doing something um, in t- keeping a patient longer. Maybe it's something around they've, okay. they've done something to have to have the patient go back to the hospital. Sure. And they weren't taking care of a symptom that was happening. Uh, they're simply which, not using as it, much care. Yeah. Yeah. The okay. Right, in the right okay. way. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Most, of the, most of the time, the the procedures being paid for by medicare they're all set they're all set things sure okay that's that that's right we are talking about the over 65 crowd you know a 
very high percentage of them are going to have Medicare or Medicaid, I imagine. Exactly. 95 yes. plus percent. Okay. And so what? The, the rest of them are just those who choose to pay for some sort of supplemental? Very additional, few. Yeah, yeah, very few. But maybe commercial you'd want to buy or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So it's a really, really big market and a really big problem. And especially when you're at your stage of growth, it's very important to focus and not try and be everything to everyone, as we sort of you know d- discussed with Kelly. So how do you how do you keep that vision now? And uh, you know how do you guide a team to be laser focused? Because I imagine, as I'm thinking about this technology, it can probably apply to a lot of different areas of healthcare. Um, and I imagine that you maybe have had some investors or board members that have said, "Hey, why don't you branch out and do this?" So how do you keep the vision and the focus to the team? Yeah, that's a great question. So, and the answer to that is, yeah, we we have a lot of opportunity. We 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 process. We have about fourteen billion claims that we can process and create analytics. We've only touched about two and a half billion of them. So, you know, your mind starts to go, oh wow, you know, we should. God, there's so much more we can do. But the reality of it is, um, we. We have to just stay focused, and the way we do that is we implement and have, have implemented. I started it two years ago, um, Rockefeller Habits, where just some simple scaling up methodology where yeah. you can sit back and say, okay, what, where where is our priority? How is everyone aligned? Are we doing the right things every day and every week to make sure that we're hitting those simple goals? And when it comes to ideation and when it comes to things like, hey, we can go do this and we can go do that, that's great. But it's really just executing on what our plan is. And, you know, you take all these ideas, and as a chief product officer, he would know better than anyone. You know, you get them from everywhere. Everyone has an idea. But it's where you channel your energy and then just make sure you're staying focused. What, what has been – again, this is so clearly SaaS, um, SaaS veteran, but first-time healthcare company. Mm-hmm. What has been the most interesting or, um, I don't know, something that you just didn't think you would encounter in healthcare? That you know, obviously, you're. We all inter- we all interact with the industry, right? You have not interacted with it necessarily from a professional technology standpoint. What surprised you the most? Wow, it, it is complex. Yeah. It and and as much as I'm so curious, I I'm reading every day. I learn every day. I talk to people every day, and it's amazing how much you can keep learning. Yeah, every day, it, and that's what's so fascinating and wonderful about this industry. And um, even even in the small area that we're focused not even you know we're just we're not in life sciences we're not in devices we're not we haven't even touched we're just in a segment of senior care segment of a second yeah Yeah. totally and it's it's really fascinating so that's been i I don't know if i'm surprised but i think i'm it's it's been been really fun that's i mean well look here's the thing that's for for curious for intellectually curious people that's how it works right the more complex something is um, the more fascinating it tends to be because you go down a rabbit hole and, you know, then there's a, your decision tree just kind of keeps adding yeah. limbs onto yeah. it. It never ends. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so you've been with the company for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it's sort of an odd time to join a company. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, being with a company is being with a company, right? You hire people, you build on a vision, whether it's COVID or not. Um, you know, it, that's that's what it takes to build a company. Um but I am curious, this being your fourth time as an operator, and it sounds like the smallest organization that you've, that you've led. So what have you learned from the other three that you've brought to this one? Well, different things from all of them. Yeah. Um, but I, I think nothing 
shocking, nothing that really should surprise anyone. I think as you as you build our like one of my first companies, we went from seventy to six hundred million in the ten year period and public and then sold. And you know, with that comes a lot of change of five hundred employees to twenty five hundred employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and the management that you need to develop to run a company at one size to the next size is is probably the what I would argue where I spend more of my time than anything else. Developing people, you know, developing their careers and and, and watching them and, and, and finding the right people and knowing sure. you know when they're right and when they're not. So that's something you you definitely you bring. I think the other thing is I've been fortunate to have scaled some companies. Um, so when you for me when you get to a small business where you have a lot of maybe people who've done things for the first time, I have a lot of first time VPs. Yeah. Right, which and they're so ambitious and, and driven. It's exciting, and, yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And, um, being able to help them and weave through decisioning and, and how to scale the business, um, those are the things that I think you can add to. And then fundamentals around being a data driven. We are a data company, but we have to run our business with data and leveraging data and analytics on how you're making decisions internally. Things like, and then, and I would say the last thing for me is. The, the two things that we've been successful in the companies I've worked with is one, customer-driven innovation, mm-hmm. not creating ideas in a vacuum, really listening to our customers. So we immediately created customer advisory boards, and we're out in front of them all the time, and we love it when they drive our innovation. Well, so that's, that, that's an interesting point, and I remember this from our first conversation. I think that, I'm um, forgetting the order, but you'll, of course, correct me, the CRM and the data, I forget which one came first, but I believe that one of them was a result about feedback that you were getting from, from, from customers, right? Yeah, that's it. So we, we started as a data insights company, and okay. um, as we, over the last couple of years, just talking to customers, they kept saying, wow, your data in our CRM, your data in our CRM is so effective. Could we get both of those from you? So, um, you know, we leaned in and, and we started looking at design and build efforts and decided at the same time we... We had a competitor who was in data, but also had a CRM. So we bought them mm-hmm. um, to go faster, and it's uh, it's been a great transition. So, is there anything else like that that's on the horizon that you can talk about in terms of just new products, new markets? You know, what does the next twelve months look like for y'all? Yeah, um, well, we've got a number of acquisition thoughts, but nothing I'm probably going to talk sure, about right now. Sure. We'll have you back a- on to talk about those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we 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 believe this industry. Um, and there's a lot of potential to integrate data insights into workflows and help decision paths. Mm-hmm. So we're, CRM's just one of many for us. And as we've scaled, you know, we've got great financial support and backers who um, have a lot of dollars that they want to invest in to help us keep scaling. So M and A is definitely on, you know, in our mind. Okay. Um, but the other side of innovation for us is where the market, and I don't want to take this into a big healthcare conversation, but this concept—well, well, this concept yeah. of value-based care, how we manage cost, and how we, um, especially in the senior world, and how where they're just not spending fee for service in typical Medicare. The the movement is to this value-based care where their people are taking on risk, providers are taking on risk, and capitating the amounts of money that an insurance or a care provider. Uh, a payer is going to going to provide. So we're we're looking and have just launched a product that helps that value based care world okay. think about how they're building out optimal networks for performance. Who are the best 
physicians to bring in your network, the best facilities, providers to bring in your network so that you can ultimately do things to really drive better outcomes for patients at a much more manageable cost. So uh, we launched a product recently called Mosaic, and that's right in the middle of kind of looking into this value-based care concept. And so in this instance, is that a healthcare system that would be your customer? In this instance, it's um, accountable care organizations and direct contracting organizations who are, their whole goal is to take on risk. Okay. It could also be a big payer of healthcare. They, you know, the payers, the medical advantage sure. plans that are out there, you see advertised all the time okay. on TV, possibly. Um, helping them figure out, okay, where do we build the most optimal network? What's happening in leakage when patients are leaving our network that costs a lot of money? We don't, we lose sight because they're out of the network. Sure. We can help them with that sort of visibility. And, and from, from the data side, right, kind of the, the classic product, who's your typical customer there? Well, the, the post-acute, so the, the buyer is a C-level, mm-hmm. um, mostly someone who's focused on understanding their market penetration and growth. So the CEO to the chief growth officer of the home health agency, sure. the skilled nursing facility, the hospice facility who's growing their business. That's their primary, those are our primary targets. And are those buyers using any sort of technology right now or are you the first time they're using technology for this or is this just superior to what they're currently using? Yeah, so uh, they're using different types of technology, electronic health record systems to manage patients. But this is the first time they've had access to data like this. So it's somewhat of a greenfield for us. And we very quickly have taken market share and kind of lead the market around. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, what, what, what else have we not talked about that you think folks need to know about Trella? Well, I think we talked about a lot. We're growing super fast, yeah. um, and we're trying to hire people as fast as we can. What sort of roles are you so hiring for? We're, you name it, yeah. data analysts, engineers, sales, go-to-market, across-the-board product, you name it. Um, we're, you know, we're scaling the company. There's a ton of demand, and it's been a lot of fun, and we see you know, we got a good opportunity in front of us. So that's, that's the big thing for us. Yeah, okay. So if you're listening and you want to you wanna work at Trello or you want to be a customer— is it trellahealth.com? Yeah, trellahealth.com. Trello with two L's. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Scott, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Kelly, thank you. Thank Great you. conversation, guys. Okay.